Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Volrath Feed. I'm Rich Rupp, your podcast host, product trainer, and chef here at the Volrath Company. And as always, in tandem to bring you this show, I'm with my co-host and digital media guru, specialist, and best producer anywhere, Justin Pearson. <laughs> Ahoy, like hoy, that, Justin. Rich. Hey, man, you know, I'll, I'll take it. It's it's <laughs> completely false, but, you know, no, I'll take it. No, not at all. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, no, no. Anybody that knows you knows that is all truth. I speak the truth. Oh, well, so, much appreciated. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> hey, um, excited for another great feed, obviously, every time we are, but um, today we have another chef, and I always like the chefs. I know you like the chefs, too. You're a foodie guy, and yeah, we always uh, like... All of our guests, obviously, but uh, chefs, we got maybe a little special spot for. Well, yeah, you you in particular, you yes. you know the language, you you know the trials and tribulations that that every chef has faced. You've seen the gamut of it with your life experience as a chef and in various capacities of food service. But instantly, you just have that that connection, and you know where to go <laughs> and what questions to ask, and you know what the pains and what the what the positives are of, yeah. of the craft. Yeah, it's walking in the shoes that definitely helps there. But, you know, some of my favorite episodes, if I look back, we had a lot of people. And that's one of the fun things I do sometimes is I'll look at the list of quotes and I'll think about the guest and I'll remember the episodes. And some of the, the ones that I really find memorable, though, for me, were the ones I learned a lot from, which maybe wasn't the chef. So go figure, right? <laughs> right. Well, you know, one thing I've never asked you is... You've been in your role for quite some time now at the Volrath Company, and and you get to have opportunities to cook and prepare meals and kind of at your choosing and your convenience. Mm-hmm. But do you miss the hustle and bustle of uh, being on the line and just cranking it out? Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> that um, that push or that pump of um, being on the line, when you, I always, you've heard me say it a hundred times, second gear, right? Mm-hmm. When... Your normal day-to-day work might be first gear, but then when you're busy, you got to kick it into second gear. That's the part that's fun. When you're hitting on all cylinders and you're turning and you're grabbing pots and tongs and spoons and things that are supposed to be in a certain spot and they're there every time and you spin around. And I, I did a, new, a meal with uh, our own Nate uh, Wolfel here recently, and we talked a little bit about that. And he's like, do you ever have those nights where the night was said and done and he went, wow, that was cool. Everything clicked. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. And that's the goal. And that's sometimes what you miss, right? You don't ever miss being in the weeds. You never <laughs> right. miss being like totally buried, things not going right, everything you touch yeah. is wrong. No. <laughs> yeah, that, but, that just plain out not any fun. But Yeah, it's that contrast though that makes those yeah. those other days that are really clicking seem that much sweeter though. Because yep. you know how bad it can be when, when the cylinders are misfiring. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the worst is when you when you think you're gonna have a night that's maybe not so busy. Hmm. And you get slammed a little bit and you refuse to like believe it's going to be sustained. So you're thinking, oh, it'll be over in a few minutes. I'll just live through it. And it continues on. And you know, you're, you just know you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> There's just no digging out. That's a, that's a long night. But yeah, to your point though, um, that's the side of the food service that I miss. I don't miss the, the hours and the certain other parts of everything that goes with it all, so all the time. But the part I miss most, yeah, being on the line mm. and actually getting that pump. Yeah, well, and I guess you do get to jump back into that a little bit here and there with your mm-hmm. with your mom's restaurant, but yeah. but that's kind of once again, it's like you're you're not committed to it. You don't have to go in when you don't want to. You know, it's well, like, I wish well, that was sure cool. totally the case. I told you the 
time I was in a Saturday afternoon just working around my house and the phone rang. It's my mom. And of course, I'm going to answer the phone. It's my mom. And she said, I'm in a bind. I need your help. Well, what am I going to do? I'm not going to say no. So yeah, yeah. anyway, not not quite my choosing, but I get well, it. But your happens. livelihood doesn't rely on, on true, being in the kitchen true, true. anymore. So yeah. But so um, yeah, today we have a, a chef, as we said, and um, I'm sure we'll have a lot of these good chef talks with our guest today, Chef Nate Weir who is currently the Vice President of Culinary for Modern Restaurant Concepts, a fast, casual chain. We'll have some interesting conversations with him, I'm sure, with what he's gone through. And, I, you know, the other part we always look forward to as chefs is hearing their story, mm-hmm. right, how they got into it. And was it that first job? Was it some other experience? Or did they know from a very young age that's what they wanted? So I'll be anxious to hear that from our guest as well today. Yeah, and I'm also... Looking forward to diving into, in, a, in quite a bit more detail, what fast casual really means. Because mm-hmm. it's a term that, that's entered our vocabulary. It's been more prevalent, at least over, I'd say, the past 15 years or so. And even though it's a concept that's been around for much longer, but mm-hmm. uh, just the idea of having a fast food type atmosphere in the sense of you're getting your food quickly, but it's a much higher quality than than you're typically expected with the quick serve. Right. I think if you think of it in this way, McDonald's will just say they, they're very well known, very successful in what they do. Mm-hmm. They have food at the ready. You pull up right. to the window and you order two burgers. They're already cooked in the window waiting. That's fast food as we know it. Mm-hmm. Fast casual, you pull in and you order your food and it's prepared for your order. I think yeah. that's the tipping point of fast casual versus just plain fast food. And typically, you're right, I think a little bit higher food quality because they are a little bit more interested in that you've ordered a, an entree or a meal and it's going to be a little higher quality for you. I, I think, too, just the whole concept of having maybe a, a more full menu and not so focused on something maybe. And, boy, I don't know, I'm running out of other ideas of how to describe fast casual. <laughs> but in my head, I, I kind of can see what I mean. But Yeah, I feel like. Everything from the interior, the design of the place, mm-hmm. uh, right. everything just seems to be a little bit, uh, what's the word I want to put? It, it feels like there's been more of a investment mm-hmm. into the quality of, of the dining experience. It's what consumers are looking for. You know, fast food is obviously, if I travel and I'm looking for something just to pull through the drive through get it quick and be on my way, consistently the same product. McDonald's fits the bill, right? Yeah. I think it does. But um, if I'm looking for something a little more relaxed, I want to sit down and enjoy it at a slower pace, fast casual, I can order what I want. Not the same type of entrees are always available. Fast fast food is just going to be much more streamlined. Very few custom things you want to do to it, whereas that fast casual also has a maybe a more broad menu and maybe a little bit more opportunity to, to customize it per your requests you know so i don't know if there's a really good hard and fast definition of it but again kind of what we're talking about here is just it feels a little more relaxed higher quality more options more of a higher quality dining experience all around do you think that some fast food restaurants are really starting to look at and adapt some of the things that make fast casual fast casual hmm in what way the customization of it or the expanded menu feel? 
Yeah, customization, expanded menu, uh, but also sourcing of ingredients. Oh. And maybe looking at more organic choices. Yes. I think you're seeing what consumers are driving. They're Mm -hmm. asking for recyclable or um, sustainable more choices, more organic. You nailed it, right? The, the irony of that is, of course, we talked a little bit um, about the cost associated to some of that stuff, though, right? Mm-hmm. As you get some of that higher quality, we get what we pay for generally. It's a thing most of us live by. But as you get higher quality in food, you end up paying a little bit more for it as well. That's true and and to be expected. Mm-hmm. But things like uh, artificial ingredients, you know, artificial colors, I would imagine that would just – maybe it does cost more money to get rid of those things, but it, it just seems kind of natural for, for them to take that, that road and, and maybe offer some vegetarian options or, you know, just kind of rework what's already available to them in a way that fits the shifting taste of, of the public. If you had a crystal ball and you could predict the shifting, <laughs> the shifting tastes of the public, you could make some money. I'll tell you, we always joke about that. <laughs> If you could figure this industry out, but yeah, that's why we do these, right? To try to get as much information from our guests and learn about what's going on in the industry. And yeah, maybe we should change the show to the Volrath Crystal Ball. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I certainly would not be good at this. uh, Oh yeah, me either. I'd be absolute rubbish. But thank goodness we have guests on that can provide some insight. (laughs) Speaking of guests, I think it's time we bring our guest for the day on, and maybe we'll clear up some of our thoughts that we had going into this uh, second half of the show. But once again, everyone, please help welcome today our guest, which is Chef Nate Ware, who is currently the Vice President of Culinary for Modern Restaurant Concepts. Well, welcome, Chef, to the show. Chef, how are you doing today? Great to be here. I'm doing excellent. Thank you. We, uh, we're we doing our winter uh, seasonal menu change today, and uh, I'm at home talking to you guys. So could be worse. <laughs> if I was out there putting out fires, it would be uh, we'd have to have a different conversation yeah. for sure. Yeah. So going, That's going always great. A, a big yeah. day changing out the menus. A lot of a lot of little things that you never would have thought of, right? Have to change or it, what are the what are some of the big standouts that you're excited about for the menu? We've been keeping it simple this year, right? With all the uh, headwinds our teams are facing, we've really just been trying to make sure any change makes sense and we're not just going to do change for change shake. We're we're making sure our innovation, we, we want to be creative, but we're trying to reuse stuff as much as possible. So uh, the only new prep item we're doing for an entire seasonal menu change is we're steaming some green beans. And everything else we worked with uh, existing SKUs or existing prep items that we already had and uh, just repurposed them to create cool seasonal dishes. Um, we've got, uh, my favorite is probably a, a Brussels and bacon pizza that we're doing that's got a, a white cheddar base uh all natural bacon roasted brussels mm. sprouts uh, blue cheese some uh, we do these like amazing charred onions that are really excellent and then uh finish it off with like a balsamic glaze so right you know, kind of classic seasonal flavors yeah. really pops we're also doing a, a tuna niçoise like a very classic french tuna niçoise with like a tarragon citrus dressing we brought in uh, a line caught ahi tuna as a new protein over the summer and it's just been kicking butt for us and it was on a very summery item with like corn and avocado and watermelon radishes and so we're going to just try a more of a winter feel with a niçoise we got roasted tomatoes potatoes green beans all the all the classics so i'm really curious to see how that goes i, I like i don't think my team is even going to be able to pronounce niçoise correctly uh <laughs> you know 90 percent of the time so we'll we'll see yeah. what happens here <laughs> ah, sounds fun 
So you, you mentioned something there about um, the ingredients you're using and the, specifically the line caught tuna. So how much of your menu are you are you are you going food forward? Are you trying to let the food drive you? Or are you menu driven or chef driven or how how are you designing your menu? Yeah, great question. Uh, we really do try to be ingredient forward as much as possible. The my background is you know mostly farm to table fine dining, um, but uh, where I cut my teeth was in corporate uh, restaurants in Buffalo Wild Wings and Applebee's specifically. And so, uh, you know, coming out of a very farm to table chef job, the last place I was at and, and joining the modern market team, uh, you know, I, I, we've tried to figure out ways to take that same ethos around, uh, you know, higher end dining, uh, ingredient focus, farm to table uh, focus, and try to figure out how to do it at scale. So you, you certainly have to lose some of the local piece, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know, we've certainly leaned into just try to source really great ingredients and not mess with them too much. And uh, that's usually a pretty good formula for success. So, Chef, you talked about something there kind of specifically about the tuna and being line caught. Is that is that something you, you strive for as far as the ingredients and, and designing menu items around certain ingredients? Are you are you conscious of locally sourced or sustainability and all these some of the other trends that are hot right now? Yeah, it's a great question, and uh, it's one that I think kind of our brand, Modern Market, was designed to try to figure out. Uh, you know, we have always had the intention of being a brand that could scale, um, but we also wanted to be a brand where we took a lot of pride in what the ingredients were and uh, didn't manipulate them too much, work locally if we could. And of course, as we've gotten bigger, choosing locally sourced ingredients has been a lot harder, uh, but we're still looking for opportunities to tell that story, right? You know, we're... Uh, we we kind of consider ourselves sort of a, a gateway <laughs> restaurant to better eating in some ways. And, you know, if we have listeners who aren't familiar with, with Modern Market, our kind of first brand, uh, we do sandwiches, salads, grain bowls, pizzas, uh, some breakfast items, um, and it's all at a price point under $14. Um, it's all very extremely clean label to the point where we don't even use super common things like carrageenan. Uh, mm -hmm. in anything, uh, which is, you know, kind of crazy. Uh, that's like beyond Whole Foods levels of cleanliness. Um, and it's all prepared from scratch is what we're trying to bring to the game. And as a fast casual restaurant, that's can be really challenging. Um, and so uh, while local has gotten harder, the ahi tuna is a perfect example of the way we're still trying to communicate who we are and what we're about. And those little qualifiers, those little things like line caught when you can put it on a menu, it, it just helps to point towards our, our thoughtfulness with our with mm -hmm. our sourcing. Yeah, very much. You know, we were talking a little bit um, on the front of the show, too, about when you're looking at ingredients. And sometimes what's ironic is the cheapest things out there can sometimes be not the best for you, right? You go to the grocery store and it's the processed foods and things. Those sometimes are the least expensive. So how do you balance your menu item trying to hit your price points and still offering some of those higher quality organic, for example, is much usually higher price than the stuff that's you know farmed and, and um and not using organic method. Right. We talk about our restaurant uh, as using the perimeter of the grocery store is where we try to play. And so, sure, there's a few ingredients that we bring in. Uh, but where we do that, we actually we operate a very small commissary and we only do items for the frozen supply chain. Uh, and those are only items that are tough to execute at the restaurant level. So it's our soups. It's our blueberry chia jam. And it's our macaroni and cheese sauce uh, and our barbecue sauces uh, as well. So we do those there. Uh, everything else we do in the restaurant. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it certainly is a challenge. The the benefit of bringing in whole ingredients and cooking from scratch is it, it does really help to keep the price down too, right? Um, 
And so we are not all organic. Uh, one of the uh, interesting things about our concept and why I say that we're sort of a gateway concept is as a guest, it's certainly possible to out, out, outgrow us uh, and get to a point where you do want to eat more organic or you do want to eat more local. And, and we think that's great. You know, as uh, you know, that's the way we tend to eat personally, but that's not where most people are in, in this country right now. Um, you know, as recently as a couple of years ago, 30% of Americans are, are still eating fast food daily, every single day. Um, and why is that? Well, it's either not convenient to have another option or other options aren't approachable or, or they aren't affordable. And you're never going to change that with a, a farm to table restaurant in Boulder, Colorado, uh, like where I came from. The, the way you change that is you have to build concepts that, uh, you know, are more ingredient driven that, uh, are not just, you know, in the you know in the middle part of the grocery aisle and you know using the using the value added stuff um, and you have to be able to do it at some point of scale to be able to actually have any kind of real impact or, or drive any kind of real change so it's something as simple as us purchasing a ton of antibiotic free chicken um, it, it, you know we back in 2012 2013 we were going to broadliners and they didn't even have an antibiotic free chicken skew right and uh, and so us being able to be like look we got 10 restaurants we're gonna buy you know, 75,000 pounds of chicken this year was enough to then get, uh, you know, antibiotic free chicken into some of these broadliners and be able to um, uh, make that then a possibility for other clients of theirs where it would have been before. You mentioned scratch cooking to keep the price down. Is that still applicable in today's world with labor costs? Seemingly what we hear is, you know, the entry level cook job used to be 12 bucks an hour. Now you're over 15 more or a lot of cases. So is that still, do you still look at it that way? We do, and uh, it just changes the way you have to teach people. And so we don't hire cooks; we hire great people. We hire <laughs> uh, people who want to work and, and who have a great attitude. And uh, you know, we we pay really well. Our benefits are great. Um, we need want people who want to be here. And you know, one of the interesting things you could certainly go make that same amount of money, and your job could involve taking a scoop out of a, a steam table pan and, and slapping it on top of something, or you know, just cutting open bags and putting them in the rethermalizer or whatever. And so. Um, yeah, we do think there's a lot of value in it. We have to be smart about it. And so our technological stack that we use, the way we build the lines, the way the, the line flow set up, the uh, cooking equipment that we use, uh, we're, we're very heavy into combi ovens specifically, uh, high-end um, combi ovens, um, because it, it makes that scratch cooking a lot more uh, approachable for our team members when you're just pushing the picture of the fingerling potatoes and then uh, the oven takes care of the rest. Um, it certainly has stretched me as a chef, right? I can't just say uh, Brunois carrot anymore. Nobody would know what the heck I was talking about, right? <laughs> so, you know, we need to start from how do you pick up a knife safely? <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, and that's the kind of things you're learning on day one. And then we need to make sure all of our training is, you know, in plain English, that it makes sense, that, it, again, that it's realistic, uh, like we talked about before, for our teams to be able to execute. Uh, but when you start, again, when you start with great ingredients, you don't necessarily have to do a whole lot to them to be able to, to make food that is going to taste great. So as you're looking at hiring new people and, and like you said, uh, teaching them to pick up a knife properly and safely, what are some of the qualities that you're looking at then? You know, because obviously everybody's in this, this labor shortage right now. We're all dealing with that. Uh, we hire people with no kitchen skills all the time. Uh, you know, we're in a number of uh, college towns. Uh, where we have a lot of college students, uh, we have a lot of people where a lot of people's first jobs, just like, um, you know, uh, fast food restaurants have been for years. Uh, part of the reason our, our restaurant Modern Market was started uh, was one of our co-founders did work with McDonald's and observed just their processes and 
the way every single part of that box is so thought through and makes so much sense and that there's really been a lot of process engineering done. And so from our kind of inception, we have always thought about how to make it doable uh, kind of regardless of who's standing there. And so certainly mm -hmm. our training tools are part of that, the way we teach is part of that, but also just the way my team designs food and the way we set things up is a huge part of that to make it possible. Um, if you can, if you can memorize ingredients, we have all these little, all these little things that we do. So one small example, um, that we've done across the board, we have two sizes of salads. You have a half size or a full size. Um, every single one of those items is set up so that your portion for a full size ingredient is two dishers. Your portion for a half size salad is one disher. And sometimes that's a lot more work than it would be. And sometimes maybe we would actually make those portions a little bit different if we were just creating one of those menu items by itself. Uh, but we have in very intentionally tried to optimize to make that as simple as possible, that as long as you remember, it gets cherry tomatoes. If I'm doing a half, it's a one. If I'm doing a full, it's two. And off we go. That's smart. Mm -hmm. Keep it simple, right? Mm -hmm. And you try to apply that through throughout the menu or just on the salad side, or do you have that on other entrees as well? Is it always that kind of scaling? Yeah, we, we do that all throughout the menu. Yes, everywhere yeah. we can. Uh, again, we try to be very smart about it. Now, look, in the fast casual game, I mean, you win or lose at the margins, <laughs> right? Yeah. And especially when you get to the point where you're paying $15 and up for labor and, uh, and pieces like that, you know, you, uh, it's when you're making, you know, the top item is $14. Our, you know, our average check is a little lower than that for an average entree. We have menu items as low as $10. Uh, you know, uh, that labor piece certainly becomes challenging. So we ha we do have to be very smart about it. Uh, but, uh, you know, we control the most expensive ingredients very tightly. Um, but that actually serves us really well. Uh, you know, Modern Market carves all the proteins um, to order, which is one of the unique uh, kind of differentiators of our, of our brand. If you get a steak salad at our restaurant, um, somebody, when that fully built salad reaches the carving station is going to pull out a beautiful grass-fed flank steak uh, that's been cooked medium rare, perfectly in a combi oven, seared to give it color development. Uh, and they're going to slice uh, a perfect portion of medium rare steak, weigh it out, make sure it's exactly where it needs to be. We have a, just a small range uh, and that's what's going to go on top of your salad. And there's just really no replacement for getting a, a fresh, hot, beautiful protein uh, like that. A lot of fast casuals that would be, again, scooped out of a steam well and, and plopped on top. And so we think there's really something uh, unique about what we're doing there. But again, it helps us as well because we have really great portion control on that steak. We know exactly what that weight is going to be, plus or minus 0.1 of an ounce. Uh, and so it, it lets us, you know, make sure we're running great costs as well. That brings up an interesting concept. Do you think fast casual is too broad of a term, <laughs> uh, too wide of a spectrum of quality, say like fast food um, and quick serve in general? There's pretty much an expectation across the board of what you're going to get and where you're going to get. And it seems like with fast casual, it's just such a wide gamut and a lot more gray areas. What qualifies for that? Yeah, it has become a little bit of a catch all. Um, but I think a, a lot of brands are just trying to skate to where the puck is. And, uh, you know, even coming out of a pandemic, uh, you know, I think you want less people hovering around your table. Now there's a time and a place for that. Uh, right. Like if I'm going out with my wife for anniversary, sure. I, you know, I, I want that touch. I want that personal touch. I, you know, I want to, but I'm going to be paying more for that experience too. Uh, but again, I, I don't think, um, you know, good food should have to be a special occasion like that either. And so, you know, I think that's really what the opportunity is. And there's so much extra overhead built into just, you know, even having a service team and a front house staff and, and all that, you know, we have one or two food runners on a shift. Uh, so we still have aspects of that. 
and and to your point, so like, is that fast casual? Like, you you sure you order at a register and then you sit down, but then somebody runs your food out to you, and uh, you know, and so we, you know, even as a fast casual brand, we are still looking for those moments of connection, right? And mm -hmm. uh, it's all about it's all about those reactions that people have, and so those those small little things of just somebody setting that that plate down in front of you elicits a reaction and, and, you know, hopefully it's a positive one that, and that's what ultimately ends up bringing people back. So yeah, I, I think, I think it is becoming a broad term, but I, I also think it, it makes a lot of sense for the industry and especially for, you know, my generation and, and younger, um, you know, we're not interested in, in a lot of the, of the runaround and the fluff, uh, you know, there's a time and place again, uh, mm -hmm. but a lot of times, you know, we just want to like get a meal with our buddies and be on our cell phones, scrolling, you know, Twitter or TikTok and, and get out of there. So, uh, <laughs> the, you know, fast casual is perfect for that. <laughs> right. Right. And I, I think there's been a lot of concepts from fast casual that fast food has been starting to embrace, too. I, because you mentioned having your food brought out to you. I, I've experienced that at a McDonald's even where where they, they brought it out. I'm like, oh, well, that was unexpected. And like you said, it was it was nice. It was like, oh, OK. And it was appreciated. Chef, you, you mentioned, um, we talked a little bit about the the portion control that you have for the, the salad, like the scoops. You talked about two different sizes. And you mentioned a combi. Any other equipment that you found yourself pivoting to to help some of these employees that you're bringing in that aren't typical chefs like you mentioned? There, Anything else you've done equipment-wise to help get those people up to speed or to, to get consistency in your restaurants? Yeah, so um, we're... Probably 90% of our, our cooking does take place in a combi oven. Um, we have ranges in most ovens, or at least a, a griddle uh, for searing proteins. Uh, otherwise, we use uh, just hot holding equipment. CVAPs are, are kind of a, a captive vapor oven is our kind of go-to for holding our proteins. So I talked earlier about being able to you know carve a, a, a steak fresh. Uh, obviously, we couldn't cook that piece of steak fresh every single time, um, and so you know we have a, a piece that's working. Um, and then we have backups that are being held for anywhere from, you know, an hour to two hours, maybe a little bit longer uh, in a CVAP oven. Uh, so the next piece of steak is just ready to go. And as long as you're calling for the steak to get cooked in a combi at the right time, we're able to keep that process going all day. Um, the combi ovens allow us to cook as few as one piece of, of steak at a time if we need to and still be pretty efficient. So at end of night, we really try to minimize waste. That's really it. It's it's you know, there's no, there's no magic to it. We've just tried to, uh, you know, avoid, we don't have any fryers. We don't have any microwaves. Uh, it's just a couple pieces that you figure out how to use them and we funnel everything through that. And that in, that in and of itself, it, you know, brings simplicity to the process. Right. Keep it simple. It's such a common thing you hear, but so important just trying to keep those processes easy enough that everyone can do them. Anything else you can talk about specifically as far as this whole idea of, I think, bringing people in that aren't necessarily trained. It's their first job. It's food service. All these things you've done, the combis. Anything else that you've got in process that you help with the menu items? Well, you know, I'm talking a lot about uh, our modern market brand. And, um, you know, my I've been with that brand for 10 years. Uh, so I talked earlier. I, you know, I'd, I'd done uh, farm, farm to table fine dining. Um, I, I started my career front of house. I was a GM at an Applebee's and, uh, and, the, the the thing I loved the best was uh, the kitchen would crash and I would jump back there and I'd run circles around guys and be like, you guys, you guys do this 50 hours a week. Like, why am I better than you at, at working the grill here on Mother's Day, you know? Um, <laughs> but you like, isn't that fun when you do yeah. that, though? Yeah. Well, it, it sent me to culinary school and I, I had just graduated right. from college with degrees in marketing and business management. And uh, I told my parents I'm moving to Colorado for culinary school. And they were like, 
you're doing what? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I really discovered a joy for it. And so I, I latched onto this concept, Modern Market, uh, a few years after their founding. They just opened the second restaurant. And uh, that was 10 years ago in May for me. So 10 and a half years of this brand. Um, two years ago, we had the opportunity to uh, acquire a second brand named Lemonade uh, based in Los Angeles. And Lemonade is another, <sighs> Justin, we'd call it a fast casual, but uh, it's a modern seasonal cafeteria that collection of words that don't even make sense um it's built around <laughs> this uh this beautiful display of prepared foods um these really interesting proteins what we call our marketplace which are these really uh chef driven interesting salads although again salad is not really the right name either mm -hmm. you know one example is um uh, marinated roasted red beets with israeli pearl couscous goat cheese and spinach right and it mm -hmm. creates this beautiful bright purple couscous when you get the this liquid that the beets were roasted in um or mm -hmm. our most popular item is um uh it's chicken um with roasted green beans caramelized pineapple chunks toasted coconut in a jerk vinaigrette and i bring this up because i that is really interesting to me and so i'm still even two years into that brand i'm still sort of wrapping my uh my brain around that and i, I know enough to be dangerous but what makes that brand really interesting you know, from this standpoint is that those things are be able to be prepared in large batches. So, you know, we're making 18 portions of the pineapple chicken salad at a time, and we're placing it out for display in this beautiful, big, white uh, porcelain-like container. All our team has to do is take a scoop out of that, right? Now, I think it's still a little bit different than, uh, you know, scooping at something that came out of a bag. It's still stuff that was prepared in the restaurant. We roasted the green beans there. We caramelized the pineapple there. We toasted the coconut there. Uh, right. But then just one guy in the back who, who knows what he's doing is putting together these big batches. And then for our team, they're free to really just engage with the guests and have a back and forth about, you know, what this item is, what my favorite item is. And, you know, mm -hmm. the actual pickup is like scoop and put it on a plate and and off we go. And our most popular we we also have some grain grain bowls with that concept. Uh, we have some sandwiches with that concept. But the, the number one most popular thing is three of the marketplace sides on a plate. Uh, our three side huh. combo is is. Uh, almost 50% of our mix. Wow. So do you take extra time for your employees to really educate them on the menu so that they can talk intelligently to the customers about it? We do. And um, <laughs> that uh, it raises an interesting question or interesting point, you know, with uh, having less experienced employees, you know, we'll, we'll, part of that brand is to be like California cool, right? And so we'll have some stuff that's like a little bit more out there. We'll have a little bit more interesting ingredients. And so that'll be one thing with, um, you know, maybe a, a new employee who's not a foodie. Uh, and they're like, wait, this is what? <laughs> like, I don't eat kale, <laughs> right? Let alone kale with peaches and bacon. Like, I like bacon. I know what that is. But, uh, you know, <laughs> otherwise, what am I looking at here? Yeah, so we, we certainly have to do a lot of education there, too. And uh, things like training videos and things like having them taste it and talk about it. And as long as they have one favorite, we can work with that, right? Because when you want somebody, when somebody asks, we want to be able to say, well, I love this one. Or, you know, everybody picks this one and, and start the conversation there. Talking about employees in, in our industry, the hospitality industry is notorious for finding people that, you know, a lot of people get their first job in, in hospitality and some people latch on and love it and other people do something else. But we often get these opportunities to mentor people, people that are young or they, they maybe are struggling in a way they find this entry level job and they just love it. And that's that camaraderie of the business that people love so much. Uh, do you have things like that in, in any of your 
life uh, experiences so far? Anybody you can remember that in a mentor situation that you were particularly uh, proud of or uh, you remember as, as far as their progress or what they're doing today? Yeah, we have, I mean, we have a bunch of examples of that. Um, you know, I just heard that um, uh, a girl that I have been friends with for quite a while that was one of our shift leaders uh, has made it to general manager. Uh, and that's super exciting. I mean, that's a lot yeah. of ladder to climb to get to that point uh, to like, okay, well, we trust in you to, you know, weigh the waste at the end of the night and lock up. Uh, all of a sudden you're a general manager. You know, that's that's a long, a long way to, to climb. And um, that's cool. And, what we do can be challenging. You know, again, it is harder work uh, with doing so much stuff from scratch and um, being kind of out there. We're not, you know, it's not like we're running just pizza concepts or just sandwich concepts, right? We do have pretty broad menus. Um, but but what we find is when you get the right person, that, that really resonates with them, right? And so it's not, it's certainly not for everyone, uh, but for the people that uh, really do value and, and, and when we get that buy-in to these guys are different, right? These guys really are trying to serve people great, healthier food. Um, you know, this is food that my family loves. This is food that, you know, we're going to help people to be, feel better about themselves, eat, eat cleaner, eat healthier. When, when that clicks with somebody, that's a really unique advantage for us, right? Uh, versus working at, you know, just a pizza concept again. And, and not to disparage, you know, there's certainly a, a place for that. Um, but I think it has given us advantage with some of our managers who are a little bit jaded on other places they've come from. Uh, or, or young people who are more aspirational or more idealistic uh, that, you know, line caught ahi tuna, guess what? It clicks with them, too, when we tell that story. Well, why did we go with line caught? Well, you know, it's more sustainable because the, the fishing populations are kept in control. Uh, money is going directly to the fishing villages where this stuff is being caught, right? And, uh, and there's less bycatch. So it's also better for the environment because it's, we're only catching that specific species. So... Uh, you know, people who, and, you know, again, I think the, the younger generations these days, that stuff is really, really important for, for our Gen Zs, um, and millennials. And, um, and so that story really resonates for them too. And so again, not for everybody, uh, but for the right person that they, they do get an opportunity to feel like they're really part of something bigger. Yeah. Our, our industry can, has its reputation of, uh, even these days now we're learning we we should probably call in sick once while we're not feeling good but you don't want to let your team down you don't want to let the guys down that you're working with because you just don't you, you come into work every day there's no calling in and just a different kind of family feel to it uh we've kind of touched on a few things that you know we i usually like to to start out with but um you've had kind of an interesting start to your culinary journey you you talked about um uh, working in traditional style restaurants for a while and things, but your culinary start goes back all the way to your childhood. That's kind of a unique start you, you had. Um, can you just talk a little bit about kind of how your culinary journey went? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm certainly a bit of an odd duck here. I uh, don't quite know how I fell into it, but I managed to find something I really love. Um, I was a missionary kid. Uh, <laughs> so I was born in uh, Haiti, uh, grew up right. in Port-au-Prince. Uh, and so we did not go to restaurants growing up. Uh, so I certainly didn't get inspired <laughs> by celebrity chefs or anything like that. What I did do is I grew up around the activity of cooking food every single day to nourish us and, and real food, uh, uh, right? Um, everything, I mean, my mom made our dog food for our dog with like this cornmeal and, you know, beef scrap mixture. And, uh, she made the granola that we ate for breakfast. Um, uh, and I grew up eating lots of fish and, uh, goat. And, uh, you know, certain flavors like that. If we wanted a, an avocado, uh, I would go climb the tree in our yard and pick one and, you know, find a good one and climb back down. So uh, certainly really unique. Uh, I remember going to open air markets, right? And, and, you know, just be 
cuts of beef sitting out there and somebody waving flies off of them. If we bought beans, we had to have a big basket and, and pick through and sort rocks out of out of the beans. So I, 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 I never had any misconceptions about where food came from, which I think has served me really well as a chef and certainly inspired my time in farm to table cooking. Um, that very full circle experience. Um, and, you know, I'm grateful to my family. My, my grandma's an amazing cook as well. Um, and so, you know, restaurants were always a, a special occasion if, if they ever happened. Um, any kind of processed food was a special occasion for me. Uh, you know, the holidays are coming up here for, for Christmas every year. Uh, we'd get up Christmas morning and there'd be a gift wrap box on the breakfast table. Uh, and yeah. it'd be like a box of Fruit Loops. Uh, and that was the one time every year where we had Fruit Loops because Cost like twelve bucks for a box of Fruit Loops in Haiti, right? <laughs> right? And then we and then we still have like our, our powdered reconstituted milk with the Fruit Loops, but it was you know it's a special treat. It wasn't Mom's granola that that, that one time. So, uh, you know, certainly a unique <laughs> background, but I do think that really just played into my my attitude. Uh, it really taught me an appreciation uh, and uh, for for the the hard work that it takes to prepare food. Uh, for the you know the, the it doesn't come from somewhere super sterile and clean all the time. Uh, it takes a lot of hard work to put food on the table and, and to produce food. Uh, you know, we need to honor that by trying not to waste it. Uh, we need to honor that by, you know, making sure, uh, you know, the ingredients are, are good and are, are grown in ways that aren't, you know, harming the environment. And so all that stuff is really, really important to me. And then, uh, you know, like a lot of people did, uh, you know, I, I stumbled into restaurants kind of uh, in high school and college. Uh, and uh, again, my parents were shocked when I said I wanted to be a chef, but in hindsight, I think there was a lot of stuff throughout my life that really contributed to uh, mm-hmm. just having a love for food and a love for hospitality, right? And and I think as chefs, that's, that clicks with, with so many of us that uh, at the end of the day, there's nothing better than you know putting a smile on somebody's face from something that you poured love into and, and prepared. Um, and my mom did that for us as kids yeah. every single day. Um, and so it, it's, it's uh, you know, a privilege to get to do that for people now, uh, just on a, a different scale. Do you recall a pivotal moment when you decided, yeah, I'm going to be a chef? So, because you'd already been to college, you've graduated, right? And then you're like, well, this is the direction I need to go. Been in the company for not a long time, two and a half years or so, and been a bar manager, assistant general manager, general manager. And um, I was, you know, 24, 25. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was just, thinking it through, right? And considering that opportunity and um, that side of it didn't get me fired up. Like I, you know, I, I love hospitality. I was a fantastic server. Um, but again, what I realized it was like the, the camaraderie of cooking on the line. Um, it's such a, an incredible career. And, uh, and as a, you know, as a chef, I, I, the way my brain works, my mom always thought I'd be like a lawyer or an architect <laughs> or something like that. Um, you know, I, I think it's so fun to be a chef because you get to combine both these two very different disciplines. You have to be very creative. You have to be very technical. And you can't be just one or the other. Like a very technical chef, nobody would eat that food if it was perfectly executed, but there wasn't any soul to it. And you can't just be all creative, right? You got to be able to actually execute the thing and have it taste good, right? And so it's such a balancing act to be able to put those two things together, do food that's both interesting and beautiful, creative, and that can be, you know, and it's executed correctly. And it's just, it's just a great mm. career. <laughs> so do you like baking? A little bit, right? I do pizza. Yes, you know, I, bread, uh, I'm not baking. A little bit of that, but there's certainly other chefs tell me this too. And there's certainly times where I'm just like winging it out here, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, sure. Yeah. Brown sugar. Yeah. That's about right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. So that we have this discussion a lot with people. It's like either you're a baker and you're very precise and methodical and you follow mm-hmm. that recipe to the T or you, you, you can't do that. You're just more of the, 
you know, cook by feel and eh, about that much and you, yep. you run with it. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that you mentioned it again, that line cooking, do you, do you still get to do that somewhat these days or are you not in the kitchen as much, especially on the line during service? Or do you still do that once in a while to kind of keep your hand at it and stay close to the, to the processes? I do. We, we make, we think that's really important. And so we really encourage our entire culinary team to do that. Uh, we do have one chef uh, whose only job is to be in the restaurant for both brands, and they are our quote. They're our brand chef uh, is their title, and uh, that is 100% their job. Again, we want to make sure as a culinary team, our job is to make sure that our teams are supported. Right? It's not just to do the most innovative food we can. It's to make sure that the food that we're putting out is is correct and is is really good. And we have to understand what isn't working. Uh, what's confusing for the team, what's difficult to keep up with, or we're going to be expending our firepower in the, you know, chasing the wrong things. And so, uh, yeah, we have a, you know, one role for each brand that is just dedicated to bubbling stuff up from work restaurants, from working side by side, uh, and reporting back and being like, you know, guys, people are really confused about what this means, or guys, this is really hard to do. Do we really need to be crumbling this goat cheese ourselves, or can we buy a, a crumbled goat cheese, right? And and those, it's a hard, it's a hard position to be in, um, you know, our Brantley and then also telling the rest of the culinary team, like you guys screwed this up. People are confused about this and this is way too hard to execute. So it's a, you know, it's a tough, tough role. Um, but my whole team does it. We spend time in restaurants. We work service. We'll jump on the carving station. Uh, I'll throw down on cashier if I have to, <laughs> oh. uh, but yeah, but uh, ha- having that connection, it, it is really important and it is, it is so energizing uh, to get to do it too. Yeah, I think so as well. feels good. Do you have a, a clear path for employees wherever they're at uh, along the line to offer suggestions and kick up ideas so that uh, if they notice a process improvement or a suggestion about anything? Yeah, there is. And we're, we're always talking about that. Um, now, not everybody chooses to use it. And it's funny, one of my one of my points of frustration, we, we hire new managers. And when I meet them, I always give them the same speech, right? And I'm like, I'm Nate. My email is Nate at Modern Restaurants. I'm really easy to get a hold of. I'd love to hear from you. Any questions, never feel like you're bothering me. My job is to support you. I would love to hear from you. I've given this speech to 400 managers through the years and probably 25 of them have ever emailed me, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but setting that aside, uh, you know, I, something that we do that I think is really cool is we have a, a very comprehensive learning management software uh, that you can go into. And uh, not only can you find recipes and click through and find uh, videos of how to prepare the food and stuff like that. But there's actually a really robust like chat feature. Uh, and my team is on there as well. And uh, for a lot of people, sometimes that's easier. And so they can just submit questions or uh, bubble up feedback or suggest menu items uh, and do stuff like that. And we hear from people all the time through through that format as well. So we're trying to make sure we're looking at from every angle, making sure people are showing up in your restaurants to hear that feedback, uh, making sure the communication's out there of how to get in touch with us, and then just creating like organic ways that uh, oh, I'm checking on this recipe and I can really quickly just click a comment box and uh, the culinary team's going to get to see it. Like, what does this actually mean in step four? Well, that makes sense. You know, they would use the chat feature a lot more than email. Email's so dinosaur these days, right? Tell that to my inbox. Oh, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't we know it? Don't we know it? Well, uh, Chef, we want to be respectful of your time, and thank you so much for it again today. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to us. Great, great episode, I think. I learned a lot of stuff, and I think uh, very informative to our listeners as well. And before we let you go, we always like to get from our guests 
a quote or something that uh, you've read or some, something that inspires you? Yeah, I got, I got, I have one and uh, it's a little, it's a little cheesy, but it's one that I like a lot. Uh, it's a, actually a Vincent Van Gogh quote. Um, the best way to know life is to love many things. Um, I think that it really clicks for me as a chef. Um, you know, I, I talked about how much I love this job. Um, and one of the things I love about it is you're, you're just never done learning. Uh, right. And so whether that is trying to improve your pizza dough recipe or diving deep into Spanish cuisine, or I just bought the Ziggy Marley Jamaican cookbook, uh, you know, <laughs> there's always new stuff to learn. And I, I think a lot of chefs have this mindset too. Uh, you know, we're sitting here, I've got my aquarium in the background. I have my, you know, my different hobbies that I do. And, and I think it's really important to just stay well-rounded in, in life. Um, and not to get too one note, it, it, I think that is, uh, again, as a chef, I, I've seen the other side of this too, right? I've seen chefs where they think uh, life is about one thing. And uh, that, that's just, I don't think that's the best approach. And uh, maybe that's a little bit more of an old school mindset. I certainly did the 100 hour weeks of uh, working in restaurants for a couple of years. And uh, I'm so much happier now uh, with some more balance to my life, with uh, different hobbies, different things that I enjoy, and just constantly seeking to find uh, new things to love and learn. And uh, so, so that's something that, that's been clicking with me for, for years now. Yeah, I would say it, naturally curious. It, you just have to be, in your spare time, enjoy reading magazines or researching topics on the internet that are related to what you do. That's just, that's a, that's a sure sign you're doing the thing you should be doing, I think, right? That's absolutely right. Yeah, good for you. All right. Well, thanks again uh, for today. We really appreciate your time and wish you the best of luck in, in what you do. And um, we appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. It was an honor. Well, Justin, true to form once again, right? Uh, you bet. Really good time with uh, with Nate. He's a fun guy to talk to, passionate. He's doing the right thing for him. I, you can tell he likes what he does. And uh, seems like he's really driving the things he wants to see in his restaurants and the, the processes that he's putting in place. Pretty cool stuff. You know, as a teenager, college-age student coming into one of his restaurants with no experience, that's the type of guy I would like to be training me. Yeah, you know, he's, absolutely. He's friendly. He's accessible. He's, uh, he wants you to learn and wants you to improve and he mm -hmm. wants to share what he knows with you. And, and, and that is that's just quality leadership. And that's yeah. something that I'm sure he puts into all of the managers that, that he's training too. That's what made me think of that mentor question I asked him because I thought those are the kind of guys that you can just see. I'm sure his impact goes well beyond the time those people spend in the restaurant. You know, mm -hmm. They leave and go do other things. And the time that he spends with them is, I'm sure, something that's uh, helping them in their everyday. So as we like to do at this point in the show, Justin, you and I have – our views, but uh, we have the help of our good friend, Nate, who who can take better notes than we do as we're talking in the show. And, <laughs> That's for and sure. It's always fun to, to hear Nate's recap. He's uh, got a great way of putting things together and tying a bow on it. So once again, everybody, Nate Wuffle in the Nate recap. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. I know I've probably said this before, but I think it bears repeating, particularly after this episode. I love when we talk to people who love their jobs. It's so much fun. There's so much energy I get from it. We learn so much. And that that's exactly what happened with Nate here in this episode. And we talked before the show about, with the research we did on Nate, about what he stood for and what he was trying to do. And we had a very good idea of what we were going to get. And we got all of that and then some in this interview. And I really, really appreciated that. And I think we talked, you guys talked at the beginning of the show about 
the difference between fast casual or maybe fast food. To me, the difference between fast casual and fast food is a fast casual establishment has someone like Nate who thinks about what Nate thinks about, who cares about what Nate cares about, who executes on the things that Nate executes on. That's the difference in my book. Now it's crystal clear in my mind because the attention to detail, the scalability, quality, pricing, in theory, all that stuff sounds great on paper, but then to meet someone who really threads that needle in real life and then scales it every single day, I just, I learned so much and it was really cool to, to just enjoy his contagious energy and to, and to just learn from him because he knows a lot and he's very good at what he does. So great episode. It was great to chat with Nate and I learned a lot. And there you have it, everybody. That's why we have Nate's recap. Excellent job, Nate. Thank you so much for that. He's just got a great way of bringing it all together. Nate, very, very cool. Thank you. All right, wrapping this one up then. Justin, any final thoughts? Yeah, I would like to remind everyone to please hit that subscribe button so you never miss another moment with a chef or food service industry professional again. And while you're at it, share what we have going on here with a friend. Let them know that you appreciate the conversations that take place here. And very good. Well said. And as always, reach out to us at ballrathfoodservice.com slash the feed. If you've got anything you'd like us to look at or any comments on the show, we'd certainly appreciate hearing all of that. And my final word as always is, you know, if you just did everything as if a customer were watching you, you'd know you'd be doing it right. That means so much to me. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week ahead. Until next time, take care.